Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following podcast contains audio extracted from videos on the Harry Potter Theory YouTube channel. Hey everyone, welcome to another installment of Harry Potter Theory. Today, we're going to be ranking my favorite Harry Potter movies from best to worst. I think one point of distinction that needs to be made right away is that these are not reflective of my book rankings. Over the course of a decade, the beloved book series was adapted into eight spellbinding films, captivating audiences worldwide and bringing the wizarding world to life on the big screen. However, in the process of adapting the complex and intricate world of the books into a more visually driven medium, many aspects of the books were omitted. Because the films are a less complete package, and because of filmmakers' decisions to prioritize certain scenes over others, they make for quite a different experience, each possessing their own unique charms and quirks. The best way to describe the films would be a diluted version of the books. However, with that said, I'm still a huge fan of the Harry Potter films, yes, all of them, and I have many positive comments about the way that each film was constructed. As we dive into this cinematic realm, we'll explore the highs and lows of each movie, taking into account the storytelling, visual effects, and the ways in which they either stayed true to or deviated from the original source material. I'll try my best to rationalize why I ranked them the way that I did, but forgive me if in some instances I'm unable to articulate myself properly and limited to explaining things with just a feeling. I know that a lot of you are going to deviate from my choices here, so before we get started, be sure to comment your best to worst in the comment section down below. Let's dive in. Philosopher's Stone My first choice for this list is the Philosopher's Stone, which coincidentally was also the first installment in the Harry Potter film franchise. My reasons for this being my favorite are pure, straightforward, and unadulterated. The first reason this film is my favorite is because it served as the introduction to the wizarding world on screen. This film set the stage for everything else that followed, and I think that with no blueprint to follow, filmmakers did an excellent job of bringing the wizarding world to life. When I saw this film on screen for the first time, I really felt the magic. The music, the set design, the costumes, it all felt so real, and I just remember being in total awe of what I was witnessing. The next reason is nostalgia. This film came out just shy of my ninth birthday, which meant that the students of Hogwarts were within just a few years of my own age. Every time I watch The Philosopher's Stone, I feel like I'm transported back in time, enjoying the film as my nine-year-old self. One other consideration is that this film stays relatively faithful to the source material, offering a delightful adaptation of the first book that sets the stage for the epic story to unfold. These may not be the best reasons or most rational reasons for ranking this film above the others, but for me, they're good enough. Notable cons include pacing, which was a little slow, and acting, which fell a little short due to the actors being so young. However, I don't feel that either of these detract too heavily. Prisoner of Azkaban Next up on the list, we have Prisoner of Azkaban. 
the third installment of the Harry Potter film franchise released in 2004, five years after its book counterpart was released. The film was the second highest grossing film of 2004, but interestingly it was the second lowest grossing Harry Potter film overall, a figure that is certainly not indicative of how good this film actually was. This film differentiated itself from the previous two largely through the introduction of an entirely new director, Alfonso Cuaron. While Christopher Columbus, who directed the first two, did an excellent job, I think that him taking a step back for the third installment was a smart decision, as it allowed the film series to adapt to a new style and grow into darker undertones. Columbus was the perfect choice for delivering the more innocent undertones of the first two films, but Cuaron was able to take it in a new direction, introducing a new and unique visual style, establishing an atmosphere that meshed perfectly with the third film's overall feel. The more mature tone of this film served as a perfect reflection of the growth that main characters had undergone. This film also introduces a ton of new fan favourite characters like Remus Lupin and Sirius Black, and does a good job of placing an emphasis on developing character relationships. Notable cons include the way that time travel was handled, as well as deviations from the book. Order of the Phoenix Up next we have Order of the Phoenix, the fifth installment of the Harry Potter film series released in 2007. In Order of the Phoenix, the Harry Potter film franchise found itself yet another new director in David Yates, a well-respected director that ended up working on the final four films of the series. This film, which was visually stunning and emotionally charged, did a great job at balancing the darker, more mature themes of the story with the familiar charm and wonder of the magical world. Furthermore, despite omitting various elements from the book, Order of the Phoenix actually felt quite complete, I'm probably going to get attacked for that, successfully stringing together various story segments into one. Something about this film made it feel much longer than the others, in a good way. Among my favourite aspects include the Battle of the Department of Mysteries, which was visually stunning, the formation of Dumbledore's army, the duel in the Ministry Atrium between Voldemort and Dumbledore, and who could forget Dolores Umbridge. Love her or hate her, probably hate her, Umbridge was a huge part of this film and the way that her character was portrayed was phenomenal. If there's one thing this film excelled in, it was its ability to incite strong emotion in the viewer. From hatred for Umbridge to despair for Harry following the loss of Sirius, this film nailed it. The film loses points for omitting book content like the entire fifth year Quidditch season, Sirius Black's two-way mirror, a scene with Harry and Dumbledore towards the end of the book, and honestly, a fair bit of other stuff. Half-Blood Prince Oof, I know I'm going to take some heat for this one, but hear me out. Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince was the sixth instalment in the Harry Potter film franchise and was released in 2009. From what I've seen, this film did not go over well with fans with one of the biggest reasons for this being that it didn't stay true to the source material. It deviated from the book substantially, and removed important memories and subplots. However, this is a list of films that I enjoyed the most, not a list of movies that stayed closest to the source material. That's just one consideration for me. For this reason, Half-Blood Prince still maintains a reasonably high position on my list, I mentioned earlier that I enjoyed Prisoner of Azkaban because it dove right into the darker side of the wizarding world, and I think that Half-Blood Prince did something similar, taking it one or even two steps further. Half-Blood Prince felt sinister and uncomfortable, as though something horrible was about to happen, and I happened to really enjoy that aspect of the film. 
In the film, we got heartbreak in the form of Albus Dumbledore's death, betrayal or apparent betrayal in the form of Snape's change of allegiances, and a touch of humour in Potions Professor Horace Slughorn. We also got to closely monitor Malfoy's plunge into darkness, as he transitions from a petulant but otherwise harmless young bully to an emotionally disturbed young man carrying a heavy burden. Another plus for me was being able to dive a little deeper into Voldemort's past, although I wish that this could have been explored further. Chamber of Secrets Next up, we're going all the way back to 2002 and the release of the second installment in the series, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. The first thing that Chamber of Secrets does well is provide a seamless follow-up from the first installment in the series. It gives us a good sense of continuity and effectively reintroduces a lot of the same characters, places and concepts, cementing these ideas in our minds. The film also has a great element of mystery and adventure, primarily revolving around a hidden Chamber of Secrets and a giant basilisk within. These elements kept us engaged and intrigued as Harry, Ron and Hermione work together to unravel the truth. It also introduces a plethora of new characters like the insufferable Gilderoy Lockhart, the much-beloved Dobby, and the sinister young Tom Riddle. Through the introduction of this wide range of characters, I found myself experiencing a wide array of emotions, from fear to anger to excitement, as well as everything in between. This film does quite a good job at staying true to the original source material, preserving most core elements brought over from the books. Cons include a rather lengthy runtime and a bit of a lack of character development, which is corrected in the next film. Deathly Hallows Part 2 Up next, we have the final installment in the Harry Potter franchise, Deathly Hallows Part 2, which was released in 2011. This final film, which is rife with emotion, ends the film franchise well by providing us with closure and wrapping up pretty much everything that had previously been left unanswered. Unveiled in this film is Snape's redemption, Neville's heroism, and the resolution of the romantic relationships between Ron and Hermione, as well as Harry and Ginny. It also concludes the epic battle between Harry Potter and Lord Voldemort, which ultimately determines the fate of the Wizarding World. The film also bears a significant emotional weight, as it deals with the deaths of beloved characters and the end of an era for both the characters and, well, us, the audience. However, I think that it carries this weight well and does a good job at closing out the story. Cons include pacing, with the film feeling a bit rushed at times despite being split into two parts, and the epilogue, which somehow didn't feel quite sufficient as a final scene following eight amazing films. Deathly Hallows Part 1 Up next, we have the penultimate installment of the Harry Potter franchise, Deathly Hallows Part 1, which was released in 2010. In my view, the main difference between Deathly Hallows Part 1 and 2 is that 2 is action-driven, focusing on resolution, and one is character-driven, focusing on the last bits of character development before the story is concluded. I can't really even begin to dive into Deathly Hallows Part 1 without first discussing one of my favourite aspects of the story, the tale of the three brothers. The story, which is uniquely animated and narrated by Hermione Granger, gives me chills every time I watch the film. In fact, this scene alone bumped the entire film up a point for me, saving this film from the last spot on the list. That's how much I enjoyed this singular component of the story. As for the rest of the film, it was just a bit too slow going for me, and it didn't seem to evoke the same magic that I felt watching the other films. This film made me feel bleak and hopeless in a bit of a mundane sort of way, which is probably what it was intended to make me feel, 
but it also kind of suffers in that it only really serves as the build-up film for the final film where we finally get resolution. It was just a part one, which unlike the other films in the series, made it feel a little bit incomplete. The film did provide a little bit more of an intimate glimpse into the dynamics of Harry Ron and Hermione's relationships, which I enjoyed, but I think that there may have been a bit too much of that. At the end of the day, this was still a Harry Potter film and I still enjoyed it very much. However, pitted up against the tough competition of the other films, this one didn't quite hit the mark. In a perfect world, I think they should have removed some of part one, added in a little bit of part two, then developed part two further. Goblet of Fire Last up on the list, we have Goblet of Fire, the fourth installment of the Harry Potter film franchise released in 2005. I didn't originally have Goblet of Fire in the last position. In fact, when I was first organizing this list, Goblet of Fire started up quite high. But the longer I wrote about each film, the more I realized that, despite Goblet of Fire's success in a multitude of areas, it simply entertained me the least. Goblet of Fire was uniquely directed by Mike Newell, who, having never read the Harry Potter books himself, didn't really hit the mark. You'd think that after getting the job he could have made the effort to read the books, but after watching the film for the first time, it was apparent that he hadn't. At give or take 734 pages, depending on the version you get, Goblet of Fire had a lot of information to cover, and it felt like Newell was a bit too reckless when it came to deciding what would and wouldn't be featured in the film. Pros include the Triwizard Tournament, the inclusion of other wizarding schools, and the return of Voldemort. Cons include an apparent lack of character development, particularly with characters like Barty Crouch Jr., and what I would describe as disregard for the source material. Apparently, Newell based his version of Hogwarts on his old boarding school, which probably wasn't a good thing to implement in the fourth installment of an existing and successful film franchise. Pacing in the film is a bit weird with some scenes feeling rushed and underdeveloped, and others, such as the Yule Ball, feel overly long. Overall, the film struggles to balance the various subplots and themes, resulting in a disjointed narrative that left me feeling a bit dissatisfied. Like I said earlier, this is still a Harry Potter film and it still gets top marks when compared with other films out there, it just doesn't quite stand up to the competition when compared with other Harry Potter films. And that's it for my list. What do you think? How does my list compare to yours? I'd love to see how you guys rank the films, so if you haven't already, be sure to comment your list down below. Also, if you have compelling arguments for why my list should be rearranged, then comment that as well. If you enjoy the content, please be sure to like the video and subscribe to the channel. Until next time, remember, it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live.